Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in. Uh, You'd know my next guest. Great to have Simon Sinek back on the show. He's that unshakable optimist. He believes in a bright future, his ability to build it together. I love Simon Sinek. I'm sure most of you are familiar with him. He describes as a visionary thinker with a rare intellect. He's devoted his whole professional life to help advance a vision of the world that does not yet exist. And that's what I love about him. It's a world where the vast majority of people wake up every single day feeling inspired, feeling safe at work, returning fulfilled at the end of the day. I love that vision or that kind of purpose of why he exists. And he's the author of many best-selling books. Start with Why, of course, everybody knows him from that. Leaders Eat Last, which he was on my show four or five years ago promoting that. Uh, Together's Better. And then his brand new book that came out in October, The Infinite Game, which is so timely for what is happening with the world today. I love this book. Highly recommend it. And it's, it's as he talks about, you know, infinite games like football or basketball or chess, the players are known, the rules are fixed, and you've got a clear endpoint, right? Winners and losers are easily identified. And the problem is we live in a world where we play in a lot of infinite games, i.e. business and politics, life itself. It's not a finite game. And I love that distinction or that clarity around that because in infinite games like business, like politics and life, the players, they come and go, the rules are changeable. There's no defined endpoint. There's no winners or losers in an infinite game. And that's when we talk about leadership. It's an infinite game. It's a lifelong process. There's only ahead and there's behind, right? And so the more that Simon started to understand that difference between the finite and the infinite games, the more he began to see that infinite games are all around us. And it's so true, right? And that many of the struggles that we face in organizations and even in our personal life, they exist simply because we as leaders are playing with a finite mindset in an infinite game. Just brilliant observation. I think it's so true. And so when you're caught in that finite mindset in an infinite game, what happens? Well, you lag behind innovation, your morale, performance is lacking, and you start to see a lot of dysfunction. However, if you embrace an infinite mindset, contrast is you're going to build stronger, more innovative, more inspiring organizations. People start to trust each other more. They start to trust the leaders and they have resilience. And it's key, right? The difference between a resilient organization or a stable organization. Again, we deep dive into this in this conversation, but the key is to be resilient. That's what you want. While the more stable competitors will fall by the wayside. Ultimately, the resilient organizations, the the ones that embrace this infinite mindset, those are the ones that are going to lead all of us into the rest of the future. Anyway, just a fascinating conversation, a fascinating book. You're really going to enjoy Simon. I'm so glad that and I feel privileged that he came back on the show. Just a great, fun, and inspiring and educational conversation. Thanks for tuning into the show. My call to action for you, I hope you're getting some value out of Dose of Leadership. I do this for free. I love doing it. It's my favorite thing that I do and all that I do. I hope it's a great resource for you and your leadership journey. And if it is, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review. Add this to your smartphone, your smart device. If it's an Apple, go to Apple Podcasts and write a review. Hopefully leave a five-star review. It means the world. It helps with the algorithm to keep us front and center. We're consistently in the top 20 uh, in the business management podcasts on Apple. And it's all because of you. It's all because of that word of mouth. Tell a friend. Tell a family member. Tell them about the show. Tell them about the value that you get from Dose of Leadership. And it's through that word of mouth efforts 
that allows us to stay front and center and continue to provide the value and the resources that you need for your leadership journey. And again, I couldn't do it without your support, and I appreciate all of you that have taken the time to subscribe, rate, and view, and listening to the show. Thanks again. Check out doseofleadership.com to see all the services that I can provide, not only this podcast, but all my speaking, my teaching, my coaching, and sign up for my Legacy Leader Blueprint course, which is a great resource, particularly in this online age where we're staying in place, sheltering in place, where you can get leadership training plus one-on-one coaching from me about $500 a seat. doesn't break the bank in your organization. So if you want to train five, 10 of your people, check out Legacy Leader Blueprint. Plant those seeds of leadership in your organization. All right. Again, thanks for tuning in the show. Now let's start our conversation with Simon Sinek here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Simon, what an honor to have you back on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Uh, I've been so excited to talk to you, particularly because I love the infinite game. And, And when I read it, it took me back or it, it gave me some clarity. I think it's part of the reason why I think I started Dose of Leadership and I'm doing this for seven years. And and of course, my time in the Marine Corps uh, kind of implanted that infinite game mindset. And uh, But anyway, a lot of clarity came through after reading this book because it's it's something when I look back at my career in the corporate arena, that's where I had all my conflicts because I was dealing with finite mindset and I was trying to play an infinite game. So congratulations on the book. Great, great book, by the way. Thank you very much. Thank you. So let's, let's talk a little bit. I know in your book, you talk about why you wrote it, but for the sake of my listeners, why did you write this, this book? So let's, let's share with everyone what the, what the, what the infinite game is. Sure. Um, A philosopher by the name of James Carse in the mid 1980s theorized that if you have at least one competitor, a game exists and there are these two types of games, finite games and infinite games. A finite game is defined as known players, fixed rules, and an agreed-upon objective, football, baseball. There's always a beginning, middle, and an end. And if there's a winner, there has to be a loser. Then there are infinite games. Infinite games are defined as known and unknown players. Uh, The rules are changeable. And the objective is to perpetuate the game, to stay in the game as long as possible. So in a finite game, the goal is obviously to play to win. And everybody plays by the same rules. And there's only the number of teams that are allowed on the field at any one time. In the infinite game, players can come and go as they choose. Um, new players can emerge at any time. Every player can play however they want. And there's no such thing as winning because there's no, there's no finish line. And what I found so astonishing about Dr. Carse's work is that it got me thinking that we are players in infinite games every day of our lives. Yeah. No such thing as winning global politics. There's no such thing as winning education. No one has ever declared the winner of careers. There's no such thing as winning healthcare. Um, uh, and there's definitely no such thing as winning business. Um, but if you listen to the language of so many leaders, they talk about being number one, being the best, and beating their competition. Based on what? Right. Based upon what agreed upon objectives, what agreed upon timeframes, and what agreed upon metrics. In other words, um, they're playing with the wrong mindset for the game they're in. And what I've learned is when you play with a finite mindset in the infinite game of business, um, there's a few very consistent and predictable outcomes, amongst which include the decline of trust, the decline of cooperation, and the decline of innovation. When I, when I learned this, this sort of shed a whole new light on sort of one of the challenges I was facing in my career, which is I was this idealist talking about how businesses should run or could run based on trust and putting people first. And people who are much wealthier than me and much more successful than me with much more experience than me would basically call me an idiot right. and, call me naive, and call me naive. 
Um, and w- basically what I learned is I'm not the, I'm not the idiot one. They are, <laughs> they're playing with the one with the wrong mindset. And this is one of the reasons why we see, um, uh, much less loyalty in companies today. Amen. You know? Yeah. We see, um, companies struggle to engage their employees. We see struggles for innovation. We also see a decline in the average lifespan of a company. It's, it's declined precipitously since the 1950s and 60s. The average lifespan of a company used to be like 50 or 60 years. Now it's about 17 years. Yeah. And, 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 we, and we see the timeframes of the way companies play, especially public companies, becoming shorter and shorter term and more and more damage being done and more and more ethical violations. And I realized it's because they're playing for the wrong, for the wrong game. They're playing with a finite mindset in the infinite game. So it was, it was a hugely sort of cathartic experience. Yeah. I mean, I, the, when I read it, 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 again, brought a lot of focus and clarity at the stuff that I'd been, I guess, struggling with. I mean, when I look back at the conflicts that I've had in the corporate arena and the arguments I would have with CEOs or even as a consultant, you know, trying to communicate what we're trying to do here, it, it, it's all around what you just talked about that I was, Assuming that we were playing an infinite game here, and I find that the vast majority of people are stuck in this finite mindset, and you're absolutely right. And I would get the same kind of feedback too. It's like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, what you, you're 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 living in a fantasy land, and and I'm like, no. But I go back to, I would always harken back to my experience in the Marine Corps, and I think that's why this was what was drummed into me is when I joined the Marine Corps, I was introduced to an infinite game, if that makes sense. And I think a lot of people don't see that because you you see conflicts and and wars as finite, you know, uh, events. Yeah, there's finite goals within that, but the construct of, from a culture standpoint, you know, I was figuratively had my, someone wrap their arms around me and pointed me to the Iwo Jima Memorial and all the people that have gone before and then all the blank spots yet to go. And they're saying, you're in the middle of this, of, of this long journey. If that makes sense, right? Yeah, no, of, of course. I mean, it is an infinite journey. And, and what you find is some of the highest performing organizations, the Marine Corps included, they, they, they don't hearken to the future. You know, they don't yeah. just talk about the future. Like you hear politicians say this all the time. It's like, well, we have to do this for our children. And yet they make stupid decisions. You know, um, um, we, when we talk about the, the unimagined, uh, when we talking about the, the unformed uh, uh, sort of, hypothetical future that exists only in our imagination it's actually very hard to to quote unquote do the right thing um it's much easier to look backwards to 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 hearken to the to the to the noble past to those who sacrificed before us that it's our responsibility to um to carry forward what they sacrificed for into the future and uh, and and there's research done on even in families and children who have a sense of where their grandparents come from actually grow up to 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 do better in the future to have, to have a sense of our own history gives a sense of continuum and legacy and journey rather than, than these finite events that forces us to focus on the here and now, because it's the only thing we can see and measure. Um, uh, you're absolutely right. And, un- and unfortunately we're living in a world right now where the finite game has largely become the standard by which we do business. It's largely the standard by which we do politics. It's largely the standard by which we do healthcare where all we do is focus on the here and now and what we can measure in the immediate future, uh, you know, and the long-term future be damned. And um, unfortunately, um, we, we, we suffer the decisions and, uh, and, and, and future generations will as well. Yeah, it, there's so much truth to that. And, and I always argue that if, if we could get to the point, 
in an organization or even as a country, looking at the large macro sense, is like if we feel like we're part of something bigger than ourselves, that's where you get a lot of the the, the, the unsurpassed loyalty, the innovation, the 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 dedication, the the people you know would climb barbed wire walls naked because they felt like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And I think to me that was always the it should be always the goal is like what are we trying to accomplish here? And, and I think that it's worth talking about that, you know, when folks like you and me talk about putting people before profit and playing this infinite game, you know, we're accused of being anti-capitalist or something. Right. And, um, um, and I think we have to, we have to remind everyone that the form of capitalism that we, that we, that we sort of work in today is, is, is many of the practices are, are, are mostly modern. You know, the concept of shareholder supremacy where we prioritize, prioritize the wants, needs, and desires of a disinterested external constituency um, before the customer and the employee did not exist prior to the ni- 1970s. It was a theory proposed in the mid to late 1970s, popularized during the 80s and 90s by CEOs like Jack Welch and those like him. Um, you know, that's the equivalent of a coach trying to build a great team by prioritizing the needs of the fans over the, uh, the wants of the fans over the needs of the players. I mean that's what shareholder supremacy is, but it, but it's worth noting that it's though it's a standard today, it, it it's it's a relatively new experience. It didn't exist prior to the '80s and '90s. Um, the concept of using mass layoffs to balance the books uh, on a on a regular basis did not exist in the United States prior to the 1980s. Did not exist. Um, it was used for for for. Uh, only to save a company if the if the if the company was sinking it was a last resort it wasn't a an annualized thing to to meet an arbitrary projection like we were not as profitable as we would have liked so we're going to you know use your livelihood um so we can meet our arbitrary projections we're still profitable just not as profitable as we arbitrarily predicted you know um and that's and that's become so normal today that that CEOs aren't even embarrassed going on television and, and announcing that they've done it um, in fact, what's worse is the incentive structures, uh, you know, and the way that Wall Street exerts uh, undue pressure on companies. If a company announces layoffs, their stock price goes up. And if they announce something like R&D or reinvestment in the company, um, uh, the stock price goes down. And if you're largely incentivized based on the price of the equity, well, guess what? Um, and, and it's a big open joke. It's a big open secret. You know, almost every C-level executive of every public company um, knows that 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 Wall Street pressures them to make decisions that are uh, bad for their company, avoid making decisions that are good for their companies. They all know it. They all they all scoff at Wall Street behind behind the scenes. Right. Um, uh, every single one of them. I've never met a public company executive who doesn't who doesn't uh, uh, who, who doesn't mock Wall Street and, and the idiocy of the analysts. And yet and yet and yet they play the game. And so we have to remember that that the form of capitalism that we're enjoying today is not the capitalism. Uh, uh, that we're playing in today is not the capitalism that Adam Smith imagined. It's not the capitalism that Thomas Jefferson uh, 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 wanted to build a, a nation on and our founding fathers wanted to build a nation on. And it's not the capitalism that made America what it is today. It's a new form of capitalism that I would argue is actually doing more damage than not. And it's time for us to return to the proper form of capitalism, the capitalism that made this country great. Now, I, so, I mean, you're hitting on so many great points is even giving me goosebumps because it's exactly the conversations that I've been having that I get so frustrated with because, you know, and it's to the detriment of where capitalism has become so skewed and, and from its original kind of idea, 
you know, and, and even arguments with my kids and like, well, the capitalism doesn't work. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work in its present form. It, it's not the capitalism that I want, right? Yeah, I, I, I love system, you said that. The system isn't the problem. It's the way we're doing exactly. the system. Yeah. 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 You, you know, you write in my book, I, I'm, I'm a pilot for American Airlines. I fly 787s. You talk about Doug Parker. And- I love that aircraft, by the way. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's like I love flying it. It's so too. quiet, even when it's mm-hmm. when you're when you're full throttle. It is so quiet. Yeah, it is like flying. I mean, I came from the seven thirty seven, then I flew that, and the seven thirty seven is like driving an Acura, and the seven eighty seven is like driving a Rolls Royce. That's 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 the difference. You know, it's just. I'm glad to hear it's as fun up front that is. Yeah, up, it is. I love that. I love flying it. Anyway, I hope to still fly it here when we get on the back side of this. <laughs> You know, this, one day. <laughs> this one day, but uh, it's it's interesting because you talk about the um, and this is interesting because from a pilot's perspective, I see I'm kind of in the middle, and I see uh, with with this crisis that has happened with COVID and everything, and it's unprecedented time. And I don't know Parker personally, and as you can imagine, I walk into a pilot union group that. Um, you see, when you talk about finite mindsets, you see a lot of historical from the past. Like nothing any leader does in the organization will get him past that finite mindset, right? And I see Parker playing. I see him sometimes doing infinite mindset things in a finite game, but then sometimes I see him succumb to the finite mindset. I, I don't talk to me a little bit about that because some things have changed since you've written written the book. But yeah, how do you see sure. things? How, you know, I think I think he's. He and his executive team are trying. Are trying. Um, I, as you know, American Airlines for decades has been had been plagued by absolutely abysmal yeah. leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have bad leader after bad leader after bad leader, finite minded after finite minded, selfish after selfish after selfish, that when somebody comes in and says we're going to do it differently, the amount of cynicism is overwhelming. Yeah, which is what we're faced with. Yeah, and that's what, what, what yeah. you're faced with. And mm-hmm. and and it is a difficult game. It's the largest airline in the world. Um, they they they're still a public company. They still have to they still have to manage the the system. They're still afraid of of hostile takeovers, you know, um, and and so the the problem is is when they do things right, they they can't get a break, and everybody focuses on the things that they're doing the old way or that they got wrong. Um, and so I think I think American is trying, and I and I and I I. I I've met the leadership of American and I like the leadership of American and there's a few things that they've done that I, I really respect. Um, one of the things that they've done is they, they, they've sort of bifurcated the way they look at um, shareholders. So they've looked at their shareholders and said, you know, there's a group of people who are long-term who believe in us, believe in our vision and believe in what we're trying to do over the long term. And there's a group of shareholders who are short-term driven and don't really care about us as a company or as people. They just, they just want to squeeze a buck out of us. And we're, when we say we're shareholder driven, we're going to focus on the, on the long-term folks because we think that's right. Because the short-term folks will come and go no matter what, because they're just fair-weathered fans. And I think that's, you know, for a public company to, to think that way, it's pretty, pretty sophisticated. Yeah. Um, um, and again, it's imperfect and it's large and it's, a, and it's a battleship and it takes a long time to turn. Um, but I think they're trying. I really do. One thing that I I noticed here in in this crisis, the difference between the, the big th- when you look at the big three, is um, from a messaging standpoint, is United and Delta have really come out with very stark warnings of what's going to happen on October first when the kind of government assistance um, deadline goes away, 
or at least that that stake in the stand. And American has has generated a more positive tone, saying, "Hey, we have enough liquidity now to weather this. On the bright side of this, we're you know we got enough. You know we we're, we're going to be focused on being prepared. The message has been we're going to be focused on being prepared when uh, the demand comes back. The other two, United and Delta, have said we've never seen anything like this before." Even though Parker said that too, but the thing that, that United and Delta isn't saying is, is we've never seen this before. Drastic things are going to have to happen when October 1st comes. Parker, on the other hand, is saying this never happened before, but we've got enough liquidity now to weather the storm. You know, We don't know what the future holds, but I, our, our goal should be to be prepared when the demand comes back. That's that's called optimism, and I like optimism. Me too. You know, good leadership requires optimism, and and I and I make the distinction between positivity and optimism. You know, positivity is like everything's fine, everything's good, everything's good, everything's fine, everything's fine, and you know, the leader is making the mistake that because we want to hear positive messages, we 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 tell everybody that everything's fine. That's not what we need. We do not need positivity because positivity denies the reality of the current situation. What we need is optimism. Optimism accepts the reality of the current situation, but sees a, a, a light at the end of the tunnel. Optimism sounds like it's dark now and it's hard now and we're going to struggle for a while, but we will get through this. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. I do not know how far away that light is, but we will get there and we will be stronger when we come out of this. You know, that's what optimism sounds like. And that's what we need to hear. Um, and it's not a denial of difficulty or struggle. Um, it's just a belief in the future, in a positive future. And I think that's what it sounds like what, what, what Parker is doing to his credit. Yeah. Um, and, and we're all aware of what the reality is. We're all aware that businesses will collapse, you know, in, not because of, of leadership, but because it's, the times are overwhelming and there's only so much money that, that they have to, right, to weather, that, if to the, weather the storm. If the demand and, doesn't come and, back, all bets are off, right? I mean, and, 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 and for now, talking about, you know, I think the sort of blame game is – is it's not it's not worth it's not a worthwhile argument right now like you know which companies were ill prepared because of all the stupid mistakes they made in the past and now they're going to collapse where the yes the, that is a worthy conversation that we can have at the end of this yeah we'll learn our lessons and debrief at the end not in the middle that's uh, uh, yeah you and I think along the same lines and that's what kind of frustrates me personally in this situation because the cynicism around and, and the people around is like well you know we should if we weren't so stupid about buying all the stock buybacks and doing this and that and blah, blah, and getting kind of finite game actions in yeah. a finite game world. Yeah. Okay. But what are we going to do on the other side of this? And, and, um, anyway, it's, it's a valid conversation for later. Sure. Yeah. The other side of let's just, let's just get through this particularly the crisis. And, and I talk about this in crisis management. It's like, sometimes you just, you just got to get through the week. Right. And, and with a sense of optimism, and with the like, I don't know. And I think great leaders do that. To your point, is like I don't know how we're going to get there. I just know we're going to get there, right? And it's like dangling from a tree, you know, uh, and 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 getting angry and worried about you know screaming at people how you found yourself in the tree. Why don't you get down first, <laughs> right, exactly? And then we can have the discussion of how you found yourself in that situation. I love it. Um, uh, but it's it's um, yeah. I mean, there, there's going to be a reckoning at the end of this. There has to be. Um, and and I and I you know I, I there's a silver lining in every cloud, and and this this cloud I hope what it reveals by the end of this is that some of the way that we some of the ways that we ran our businesses do not prepare us to weather storms, 
um, and, and we need to run our businesses differently. You know, everybody buys insurance for their home, not because we expect our house to burn down. It's because it's insurance. That's what insurance is. And a, and a well-run company operates with a sense of insurance, which is we don't expect global pandemics. We don't expect, we saw this during the housing crisis in 2008. You know, the actuaries said that there was like a 1% chance or something that the entire housing market would collapse at the same time. So nobody had any, made any preparations because the odds were, the odds were low. So when the housing market collapsed, no one was prepared, you know? And so they were racing to make plans after the fact. Um, well, there's, there's a slim chance that your house is going to burn down. You still have insurance. And so I think, I hope this builds in a sense of uh, an element of conservativeness and, and resilience you know, putting money aside for a rainy day, not doing those stock buybacks as much, you know, just in case so you can have a ton of cash on hand. Um, not that we expect this to happen again, but who knows what's going to happen. That's that's the point of the future. It's unpredictable. So I, I hope there is a reckoning at the end of this for 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 to be a little more prepared and, and many other things too. Well, you're highlighting a, a definite advantage of kind of shifting and adopting this infinite mindset is that it produces resiliency which yeah, is completely different than stability, which is what you hear a lot of people talking about stability. And, and, and as, you, as you point out in your book, stability is about, you know, remaining the same and resiliency is like, well, yeah, it's up and down, up and down. How do I stay resilient? So this thing chugs along long after I'm gone. Resilience, uh, stability is I, we go into a crisis and we come out of it the same company that we, we you know, a slim right. down version, mm -hmm. weakened, but, but alive. You know, right. Um, resilience is we went into this crisis, we completely reinvented ourselves and we came out of this stronger than we went in. Resilience is the ability to adapt. It's not the ability simply to, to, to weather a storm. Um, and we may have a lot of stable companies, but we don't have many resilient companies. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, I, I, you know, you're right. The infinite mindset does prepare you for this kind of stuff. I mean, uh, think about it. Imagine if we all lived instead of, instead of for 70 or 80 years, we lived for a thousand years. This would be our sixth pandemic, right? right. You know, yeah. Uh, and and it, it, it's it's like a hurricane. You know, hurricanes on an annual basis. There's actually a season for them. Yep. You know, come barreling through certain states, and they uh, there's a loss of life. There's often billions of dollars worth of of damage done, and yet we sort of know how to prepare. And there's policies against these things, and we know how to sort of batten down the hatches and we try and mitigate the damage and we don't enjoy it. We don't want it. We'd like to avoid the whole thing, but we've, we, we've, we've weathered these storms before and we kind of know how to do it. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, if we lived for a thousand years, global pandemics would be the exact same thing. Yeah. Oh, here's we another one. We know how to yeah. deal with it. Mm -hmm. There would be a loss of life. We'd mitigate the damage. We'd mitigate the economic damage. We'd kind of know what to do. So when you have an infinite mindset, infinite mindset is, is as if you're lived for a thousand years, which is you're kind of, a little bit prepared for everything, you know? Um, and that's not just financially, that's culturally. You know, to build a strong corporate culture where the team has a, a singular vision and, and, it's a, and, and there's a ton of trust means that when the storm hits, it's instead of everybody going into abandoned ship and save yourself, everybody goes, okay, how are we gonna take care of each other? Um, and you know this being in the Marine Corps, which is, when you enter the most horrible situations known, you know, that most people never experience, what ends up happening is Marines come together and not break apart. Um, uh, even if you don't like each other, you love each other, which is an amazing thing that I think people in the corporate world really don't understand. You don't have to like the people you work with, but you can love the people you work with. <laughs> right, right. 
That's so um, true. And, uh, uh, and, and that trust is not built in combat. That trust is not built in, com- in crisis. That trust is built before you got there. It's the, it's, the, it's the training, it's the shared history, it's the shared traditions, the shared values. It's the, it's the, it's the kind of leadership who builds a safe space around you and, and, and makes you know that every Marine has your back just because you call yourself a Marine, because you've earned the right to call yourself a Marine. And, and, and all of that trust is built for, for years and years and years so that when you step off that C-17, you're good to go. And, and in the corporate world, we don't, I, I'll, t- I'll f- tell you a funny story. I, I did some work with a large, a large chemical company. Uh, and uh, we were talking about leadership. And one of the executives raised his hand and says, I don't have time for this. Like, you have to understand, this is war. And I do not have time for the stuff that you're talking about. You know, I had to correct him. I said, first of all, this is not war. Um, you know, the worst case scenario is a large public company will lose some money. Like, that's a about it, you know. <laughs> right. Um, so let's just let's just like ease up on our on our on our analogies here. Um, and then the second thing I said is, okay, I understand that the pressure is great, and you're going through hard times, and you don't have time to do this good leadership thing. So my question to you is, what were you doing during the good times? Like, what were you doing when everything was fine and stable? Like, why weren't you building trust? Why weren't you building your team? Why weren't you training your leaders? Why weren't you preparing for this? And that's the problem. That's the problem, which is during the good times. We, we, we're, we sort of, we're even more short-term focused, you know, uh, th- which, and, and this, I've seen this, I've seen successful pivots and unsuccessful pivots going on right now. And the unsuccessful pivots are the ones where the, the companies have put themselves at the front, at, at the beginning of that equation, which is, um, which is how, what are we going to do for ourselves? How are we going to make money? How are we going to get, how are we going to take, how are we going to get money, right? How are we going to survive? Right. Right. Whereas the ones that are successfully pivoting are putting their customers at the center of this, where they're saying, hey, guys, how do we how do we continue to give what we've got to other people? Like we've got capabilities, we've got talents, we've got things we know have value. How, how, how are we going to find different ways to share what we've got with other people? And, it, and, and it's it's such a subtle shift, but it has such a profound impact. Because one is a taking mentality and one is a giving mentality. One is a selfish mentality and one is, one is a service mentality. And it's the service mentality that, that those organizations are more successfully pivoting. Now, I'll tell you one of my favorite stories. There's a, a pizzeria in Chicago called Demo's Pizza, um, and they made 70% of their revenue from selling slices. Now, that dried up pretty quickly. You know? And the law says you can't go to a restaurant anymore. You can't, you can't go get a slice of pizza anymore. And they weren't equipped to, uh, to start selling pies, you know? And um, uh, any other pizza place would have doubled down on the old business model, which is how are we going to sell pizza? We got to survive, right? <laughs> right. So what Demos did is they looked, at their, they looked at their resources and they said, we have a pizza oven. And instead of just saying, well, pizza ovens are for making pizza, they said pizza ovens are hotter than regular ovens. What can you do with a pizza oven? And they discovered that they can actually... Uh, bend industrial grade plastics because of the heat that they that they can produce in their oven. So they started buying industrial grade plastics and making face shields for hospitals. Oh my darn! Okay, with their pizza oven. That's an amazing pivot. You know, now I just find that amazing. And then and then you have pe- people who used to be waiters and waitresses delivering face shields to hospitals in pizza boxes. Like I, I just absolutely love that. Yeah, that is a great story. 
Um, and, and pivoting isn't just the business, it's also the employees, which is you may, had, have, you may have to do a completely different job now than you used to do. There's another restaurant in New York City uh, called Resdora. It's a fine dining place. Um, it's only, it was only nine months old when, when the shutdown started to happen. Um, and, you know, they had to convert to a delivery system, which they've never had before. And he didn't lay anybody off. What he said was, hey, waiters and waitresses, all my servers, are you willing to pack up food and help organize? And they, they said, yeah, absolutely. They were doing a job they've never done before. They changed their jobs. And the successful pivots, you're seeing that. You're seeing people uh, develop a new business model and people are changing what their jobs are. And when they come out, the job specs and the list of jobs um, that the company performs will be entirely different than, the, than, the, when, than when they went in. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love that. That's and, inspiring. And it is inspiring. And, it, and it, it's the difference between fretting events to how do we get back to normal to going, what does that even mean? That's, that, that's, a, that's a nonsensical word. It's like this is – we're trying to figure out how to, you know, take care of what needs to be taken care of, right? And, there's and no going backwards. There's no going backwards. I had a conversation, interviewed a guy for this show. He's a um, – uh, independent gym owner. He started his own business up in the Kansas City area. And, you know, a, a, nothing unique about having a gym, particularly difficult to compete against all the big name brands and everything else. But, you know, obviously his livelihood is was was around training, you know, mass classes and training people and personal trainers and this and that. And he had a handful of personal trainers, probably um, eight to 10 subcontractors that were personal trainers. But he's he has this infinite mindset, this kind of servant leadership mindset. And um, when this happened and they were shut down and no one's coming to their gym, the first thing he did is he went to all of his personal trainers and each personal trainer had a relationship with the customer, say 20 customers a piece or something to that effect, who have been each experiencing lives with him. And, and he says, I don't want to lay any of you off. I still want to pay you. Start reaching out to all your you know, your clients and see what we can do to, to help with them. And so these personal trainers who were normally in the gym teaching them how to do burpees or whatever were now going to the, their customer's house, calling them personal, each, each of their clients. What could we do? They were serving – they were bringing groceries to them. They were doing things. They were coming up with personal meal plans, how to exercise at home. And it led to him having a complete online presence where their current clients could you know get online. They could see their customized – at home workout plans, meal plans, everything else. He just totally pivoted. It was almost like, I, mean, I, I, I just thought it was amazing. You know, I love that. Yeah. And I think we have to remember in the business world, these are not unprecedented times. Remember, keep going to talk, these are unprecedented times. No, they're not right. The, the, uh, you know, we, many times over, we've seen political, cultural, or technological change that has completely shattered and, and shuttered uh, in entire industries. You know, the invention of the internet, put every video rental store out of business. Right. Blockbuster is dead. One. Right. Exactly right. Um, they, they could have adapted, but, but they didn't. You know, the, 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 one of the great examples is Blockbuster. Blockbuster was the 800-pound gorilla. is the only significant national video rental chain in the country. And when the internet started to show up, um, uh, we knew streaming was coming down the pike, but the technology wasn't there. And this new company called Netflix showed up. And if you remember, you could have, you could subscribe and you could keep the, the DVDs that they would mail to your house for as long as you wanted. Remember? And, and they were preparing for streaming. Um, 
they were experimenting with a new business model. And the CEO of Blockbuster went to his board and said, I think we should start to experiment with subscription models. And the board would not let him because the company made 12% of its revenues from late fees. Yeah, that's right. That's I mean, right. Talk about short-sighted. Yeah. And now Blockbuster does not exist anymore. And Netflix is literally determining the future of television and movies. Well, remember when even that was going on at the same time and Netflix started getting into streaming. And, and I remember Netflix was m almost mocked in the media about what a stupid idea it was. Yeah. And but the, the point is, is, is that is that the Internet challenged companies and industries um, the ones that saw the opportunity to pivot and change, completely adapt their business models to meet what would be a new future, thrived. Um, and other industries doubled down on old business models. They hunkered down and they said, how do we keep selling what we've been selling? And they, they're, if they survive, they play defense. To this day, they're playing defense. Like, why is it that the publishing industry did not invent Amazon? And why is it the publishing industry did not invent the e-reader? Think about that. They did not invent the e-reader. Amazon invented the Kindle right? That's mind-blowing to me. It's because they doubled down on selling books as opposed to recognizing the internet was going to change the way the market worked. Um, uh, why is it that, that, that uh, Apple invented iTunes and not the music industry? Why did a computer company invent a music distribution system for songs and not the music industry? It's because the music industry was too busy trying to sell us albums sold at Tower Records and HMV. Completely missed the fact that the internet had changed us from an album culture to a song culture. Um, and, and, you, and, and so you see how, you know, company after company, industry after industry misses opportunities and is forced to play defense where unknown companies or companies outside these industries are completely do, doing all the reinvention. Um, and this is what it means to pivot. The point is, is it's not unprecedented. Yes, it's more sudden. Yes, it's more aggressive. Absolutely. You know, the internet took years to, to come in. This, is, this, is, this was a couple months, you know, weeks to, 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 shutter, uh, to shutter entire industries. But, but the point is, is from a business standpoint, just companies know how to adapt. And it's the ones who see opportunity and different and, and are, are able to say, what do we have that still has value? And let's find an entirely new way to deliver it as opposed to the old way. Um, uh, they, they, will, they, will, they will come out of this a different company and dare I say, stronger for the future. Well, the timing of your book is, is uh, impeccable, I guess. I mean, I think if somebody wants to look at the, where we're at, there's no better time. And, you know, you lay out the five steps of, and we talked a little bit about advancing a just cause. Again, that's wrapping your arms around something that's bigger than yourself, building that trust in the teams, as we talked about, studying the worthy rivals, which we really haven't talked about, but it is to your point, you know, making sure you understand. It's great to have a worthy rival, right? I mean, you look at the uh, documentary now that's on that great on ESPN, the last dance. Were you, have you been watching that at all? With I haven't. Michael, oh, it's, it's amazing. But again, kind of what dri drove Michael Jordan, the Bulls, he always had a worthy rival, right? That was always yeah. his, his, his driving factor. And then you talk about preparing for existential flexibility and demonstrate the courage to lead. I think it's a great roadmap for anybody that's – and the great thing about it is all the stuff you talk about is intuitive. I mean everything that is wrapped around it are natural laws. They're not like anything anybody's invented. It's just getting back to what is already there for your discovery, right? That's how I see it. And I think this crisis has revealed two, two things, which is the, the, the stupidity of playing a finite game in, in, the, in, in the infinite game of business, playing with a finite mindset in the infinite game of business, where we used to have competitors that we tried to beat. Well, what does that even mean? 
right? It's completely nonsense because there's no agreed upon anything, no agreed upon metrics, timeframes, and there's no finish line. And now in these COVID times, like trying to outdo your competition is actually a silly idea. The question is, how do we, how do we make, how do we, how do we make our company stronger? How do we, how do we look after ourselves? How do we compete against ourselves? And yes, we'll look at our competition to see what they're doing so we can learn from them rather than try and outdo them or beat them. And it's become very clear that trying to beat your competition in this marketplace is just ridiculous. I don't think there's any company obsessing about their competition right now. And that's how we should be all the time. We should be obsessing with how trying to improve our own state and our own, our own product and our own service and learning from our, our competition, learning from our worthy rivals, that their strengths reveal to us our weaknesses and that's where we can learn to improve. I, I did make one glaring error uh, in, in the book. I talk about this concept of existential flexibility and I said most leaders will, will, may never have to go through it their whole career or once or twice at the absolute most. And here we are in a, here we are. a global pandemic where every leader has to go through existential flexibility simultaneously. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. I got that prediction wrong. Well, I'll but give, under, under normal circumstances, yeah. it's, it's a rare occurrence. Yeah, I'll give you a pass on that. But I mean, I think it's, it is simple to understand. It's easy to understand. That's why I love your book. I mean, and all the stuff that you do, by the way, but it, but it is hard because as human beings, you know, it's, it's difficult to stay in that infinite mindset. It really is because we're easily for whatever reason, pop cultural or the human nature we're seduced into that finite. It's, it's so seductive to, to stay in the finite mindset. I mean, it's something that I struck. I mean, as much as I harp on the infinite game, I'm seduced by it all the time. Right. I mean, I have to battle every day from a leadership standpoint to always play the long game. And, and that's what sucks about leadership is like sometimes you don't see the results for a very long time or till long after you're gone. But that's the mindset that we have to have, though, because it is about making the campsite better than you found it. It's about making the place better than you found it. Right. Exactly right. And we, we overuse sports analogies whenever we're talking about business. And the problem with using a sports analogy in the infinite game is sports, the game ends, Right. And this is very important to remember. In the finite game, the game ends, but the players survive. So the Yankees will play the Red Sox. The game will end. It'll come to an absolute conclusion, but the Yankees and Red Sox will survive to, 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 to play another day. In the infinite game, it's the opposite. It's the players that go away. It's the game that continues. There's been many, many companies that have gone bankrupt, but the game of business continues with them or without them. The game perpetuates it. the players that come and go. That's very different. And to adjust ourselves to have an infinite mindset means we have to change our analogies. We have to change our metaphors. And I prefer a metaphor of, of, of living a healthy lifestyle instead of sports analogies. So for example, um, if you want to live a healthy lifestyle, you have to eat well, you have to exercise, you have to uh, get sleep and nurse your personal relationships. And it is totally valid and it's totally okay to have finite goals. Let's say you want to lose X amount of weight by X date. Um, go right ahead. That's fine. And you'll weigh yourself every day and the metrics are exciting and the metrics keep us motivated and the goal keeps us motivated. Like finite, finite games are very, very important. Um, uh, and if you hit that goal, if you hit, if you lose the weight by the date, you're very excited, but here's the problem. You have to keep working out for the rest of your life. Like the game doesn't end. Right. Um, uh, and it's the same in business. Congratulations. You hit whatever goal, but it keeps going. Like it's, it doesn't, you doesn't stop. And what happens if you miss the goal? If you don't lose the amount of weight that you wanted to lose by a certain date, you know what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. 
In fact, you're probably healthier now than you were when you started. And the date and the goal was arbitrary anyway. So if you keep working at it, you'll hit the goal a couple months later. And it's the same in business. If you miss the arbitrary date, but you've been doing all this, the right things, it's okay. You'll hit the goal a month later. It's fine. And you're probably a healthier company because of it. And so when all we do is incentivize people to hit arbitrary dates on arbitrary, uh, with arbitrary numbers, unfortunately, they they doing it along the way, they're not necessarily doing things the right way, and they might do damage to the organization. Goals and are, are there, they're important, and they are a guide, and they're there to motivate. Uh, but we have to think of business and any infant game like more like a lifestyle rather than a finite game. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's a great analogy. You're absolutely right. It's like, you know, the goal is a healthy lifestyle, and that's a, a grand umbrella that never ends until you assume room temperature, right? And so- it's the difference of, of kind of like when I look at um, a flight plan, which I got a, a whole series of finite metrics to see how I'm doing along the way, but I don't measure success by each waypoint that I hit exactly, right? They're there for measurements to see if I'm on track, but that's not the, you know, that's not the ultimate objective. And you could even take it further. So my ultimate objective is to get you to the other end safe with no burnt metal and no dead bodies. But the longer term is like, I want to create an airline where, you know, it's about the experience, right? And the reliability and the trust, and you can just extend it. Yeah. I mean, your analogy is a good one because there are absolutely finite components in the infinite game of American airlines, right? So you, you want the gate agents to think about a finite game. You want that plane to leave on time and, and, and everybody's on board, you know, beginning, middle and end, easily measurable. uh, uh, And that's it. Same with your flight. Like there's a beginning, middle, and end, easily measurable. We and we want to get, we want to arrive on time or early, right? This is the goal. Now, the infinite mindset component of that is you don't want the gate agents screaming at people uh, because then they won't fly the airline again. So they might get that 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 one flight off on time, but it'll do long-term damage to the airline. You want them to have a concept of the long term. Same with you, which is you don't want to push the aircraft to its to its to its limits where you might get there early but you'll do such damage to the aircraft right. um, that, that it'll be taken offline for so long to be repaired that not only the cost, uh, the cost of the airline, it does long-term damage. And so you weigh these things, right? Yep. Treating people right, treating customers right, treating employees right, putting people first, all of these things ensures longevity and th- the ability to thrive in the infinite game. Um, but it's not the absence of the finite game. It's, again, the finite game, the infinite game is the context within which the finite game exists. Well, I could talk to you for hours about this. I mean, your stuff is great as always. You want to, anyway, you, the reason why you're so successful at what you do and you write in such a, a commonsensical way and it's a message that needs to be, be heard, um, consider uh, a welcome home here at Dose of Leadership. I'm proud to have you in the Dose of Leadership tribe and everybody that's listening to this needs to, to get his book. Also, too, I was noticing, uh, uh, pivoting, I noticed during this that you've started uh, a lot of live online classes and uh, what a great idea in just some of the topics of course your jumpstart your why uh, how to deliver and accept feedback uh, the infinite game which we just talked about here how to build trust so and so on I mean congratulations on that and um, so I'm really sort of inspired by my team we went through our own pivot you know which is we had the same we made most of our money from live events right that dried up pretty quick yeah 
Um, and we didn't just double down on what we used to do. We didn't say, okay, guys, we, we do keynotes now, find keynotes online. You know? <laughs> right. and I, I'm really proud of the fact that we took the chapter in, in my book about existential flexibility and we basically followed it. We said, okay, what's our cause? We said, what values do we, what value do we have that, 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 that the world still needs and how do we deliver it for the conditions, the political, cultural, technological conditions in which we're existing today? And so we've completely reinvented our business. We've, we've now, um, we've, uh, we've done all of these online classes, but it was very important for us to do them live because we care and talk about so much about the human relationship that it was essential for us to do live classes. Um, and we basically turned around our entire company, came up with all of these classes, put them online within a few weeks. We did months and months worth of work in a few weeks. And just like we talked about before, there were folks on my team doing entirely different jobs. The job that they were doing three months ago, they have an entirely different job now, you know? Um, and it's kind of amazing. It's kind of been amazing and exciting to watch, to watch my team pivot. Um, and, uh, and so I can say with, 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 with great pride that, that this thing called existential flexibility is, is absolutely learnable and doable. Well, I think it's great. I mean, congratulations on that. And, 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 the price is 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 right. It's decent, and I, th- I think you just you're onto something pretty. That neat. was our goal. Yeah, yeah, very good. Well, how else so can how else can people reach out to you and and connect with you? You know, all the usual places. You know, your LinkedIn's and Instagrams and Facebooks and Twitters, and I think we even have a Pinterest now. Yeah, it's like all the usual. Places. Yeah, you're easy and, to find. Of course, yeah, I'm easy to find. And and then the website is just my name, SimonSinek.com. Well. Um, I'll, yeah. I'll have links to this and to the, the, the courses, which I just think is oh, great. And um, so I encourage all my listeners to to check out Simon's new book, obviously, which I think is should be mandatory reading for that infinite mindset. And then check out his courses, which, uh, you know, be intentional, especially during this time when we're sheltering in place. It's a great way to, to stay on top of it. So uh, thanks for coming on the show, Simon. And uh, hopefully it won't be five or six years till we talk again. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You bet. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concepts of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.